Find all your favorite movies and shows faster with Xfinity. Just speak into the X1 voice remote to search across live TV, on demand, even Netflix and Prime Video. Now that's simple, easy, awesome. Switch to Xfinity today and get a great offer. You'll enjoy Xfinity X1, which gives you access to your favorite streaming apps like Netflix, YouTube, and now Prime Video. Go to Xfinity.com, call 1-800-XFINITY, or visit the store today to learn more. Restrictions apply. Fair Game Review of the Year. I'm Emily Glenn. And I'm Elaine Buckley. If you're joining us for the first time, and the good news is that you've got a whole year's worth of podcasts to catch up on, loads of inspirational stories from Irish sportswomen in our archive available at castaway.media forward slash fair game. You can also subscribe to the podcast to get a direct download of each new episode upon its release. Just search Fair Game on whichever podcast app you use and hit that button. If you're on Twitter, follow us at Fair Game Cast. That's where we keep you up to speed with happenings in women's sport, both Irish and international, on a daily basis. And take a minute to like or share Fair Game episodes. It's really appreciated. It's a big help in spreading the word about the podcast. So if you like what you hear, tell your family, your friends, your teammates, just check us out. So we've been running Fair Game for almost a year now and over those past 12 months there have been some incredible foundations laid, progress made and challenges slayed by Irish sportswomen. So on this episode we're taking the time to reflect on the superb year that was 2016. And joining us to do so is one of the country's top sports broadcasters. From reporting for RTE News on a daily basis to presenting Radio 1 Sunday Sport to anchoring RTE sports soccer coverage and most recently presenting the all new sports quiz show Now the Score, few people have taken in more sporting action this year than this woman. She's also competed in sport at the highest level, representing her country in basketball and her county in camogie. We are delighted to welcome Jackie Hurley to the Fair Game Hot Seat. Thanks guys. How are you Jackie? I'm good, how are you? Not too bad. So 2016, busy year? Yeah, mad year. Um, The busiest year I think I've put down since I started doing this, and in a great way. I mean, it's very hard to get the experiences like working on a Euros and then going to an Olympics all in the one year. So it was um, it was amazing, uh, tough at times, but really, really just great in terms of just experience. Like you, you can't buy that kind of stuff, you know. So it was uh, one that will stay with me for a very long time. Mm-hmm. I'd say you'd be happy to see the see the Christmas holidays at Absolutely. the same time. Absolutely. I will be doing nothing for Christmas because I've had the maddest summer imaginable. But um, look, totally worth it though. It was great. I wouldn't swap it for the world. So, listen, we're going to run through our sporting highlights month by month. Okay. And we're going to open with January. And I think the question has to be, where were you when you first heard of the Lady Bull? Do you know what? I remember seeing it and thinking, oh my God, what is this? But very quickly, I had some texts from friends and I remember going on Twitter and I was like, I hope this is a joke kind of thing. And then realised, oh, this is actually brilliant. It's not just a joke. It's actually a really clever campaign. So it's amazing how quickly your actions kind of turn from oh God, this is terrible, this could be really, really bad for women's sport, to realising the actual fundamentals of this and saying, okay, what Lidl are actually doing is putting up a million euro and it's not just a gimmick, it's real, you know? Um, So I suppose my initial reaction was shock and then it so quickly turned to fair play, I'm delighted with this. And, um, And to be honest, just based on even what I've seen from the year of what they've actually done in real terms, it's been phenomenal. I mean, you look at the girls who've been on billboards, they've got ads, um, the, the game is growing, we had record attendances at the ladies' football and the camogie attendance was even up on, on that this year as well. So, like, it's it's been genuine support and it's actually working, which is the I most was, important thing. I was part of the chorus of people who were outraged on Twitter about really? the ball. I was, I was like, this is not a joke. And I was, I think I was probably one of the last to realise as well that it was, <laughs> like, the penny took a while to drop. You're, like, hearing it. In the background. <laughs> I know, yeah. yeah. And I, yeah, I was just so outraged. And then when I, when the news broke that it was, uh, you know, kicking off the serious support campaign, like they really did put their money where their mouth was. Yeah. You know, yeah. like they really mm. did just 
really put in some serious support to the game. It was a million euro and they spent it really well. And that's the thing that people will remember now. Like, you mention Ladyball to people now and they'll go, oh yeah, oh I remember that. But if you ask them about Lidl's support of the game, they'll definitely remember that because they'll have seen the billboards, they'll have seen, you know, the matches and, and that's, I think, where... It worked, mm-hmm. and I think at the at the time I remember seeing it pop up. And at the time we were kind of just in the very early planning stages mm. of Fair Game. We hadn't even recorded an episode yet, and then I just saw it kind of pop up on Twitter, and I was like, "Oh my god, what is this?" <laughs> and then when I heard it was little, I was still raging because like they had put full page ads in the yeah. broadsheet newspapers yeah. and like spent this money on website and this huge campaign. I was like, "Why did they waste all that money on the Lady Ball campaign instead of just promoing?" the actual the yeah. National Football League and then talk about shutting me up my god the first time I saw that the television ad that they did mm. um, and then the billboards with Breach Corkery and Sinead Goldrick, Goldrick and Sharon Courtney and um, Sarah Rowe on them like this massive double billboard and Randall driving home I was like okay yeah no well I'll yeah. stop giving enough of that, that now yeah. Yeah. yeah that's me put back in me box <laughs> yeah. and uh, so yeah it was a good way to start start the year and kind of to get some attention into the into, into the latest football league definitely because do you know what that has a huge knock-on effect for the other sports because what I found is the amount of people in other sports who came up to me and said what do you think of what's going on with ladies football and do you think this is going to have a knock-on effect and the camogie were looking at the corner saying what's this like the soccer team were involved the rugby team and all the girls had their opinions about it as well and it's amazing how it's different in men's sport I think in Ireland because like if you take the big organisations like the GAA the IRFU and the FAI they're so removed from each other that they all exist in their own worlds and all their money is their own money and all their things are their own things but if you go to a women's sporting event I can guarantee you you're going to meet another inter-county player an international star from another sport or whatever and you'd be surprised how many of them know each other have played some of the other games or support each other and that's why this kind of thing worked because it filtered into the other sports because there's so many people who were involved across the platforms of, of so many of these other sports mm-hmm. and as the league in particular ladies football league this year was it was great brilliant. oh yeah it was like, like the best they've had in years really was the final between cork and Mayo. like it was just an absolute cracker and everyone just waiting for cork's downfall they're like this is going to be it this is the change of guard and no they still no. won't and like you said like at that match in Parnell Park that night be, sitting right beside myself and Emily was uh, Mags Darcy was behind us Sinead Finnegan was in front of us and it's just like all kind of the high profile players yeah really get out and support their own games. Yeah, and it makes a big difference. You can go down to any of the women's rugby internationals and half the soccer team are there as well. And, you know, the camogie and the seven squad are all around. And that's actually one of the things that I've loved. And maybe that's why I'm so invested in all this as well. It's, it's just my own background where you actually know a lot of these people because you might have met them when you were playing yourself or whatever. And it's just a it's a real community in women's sport in Ireland. And it's something that I love, I have to say. Mm-hmm. It's really nice to see companies back in that um, and to to do it in a really meaningful way, not to just kind of you know paper over it or, or to treat people. I mean, if Lady Ball had have been the actual product, the promo. I mean, we were all outraged, but you know, it it would have been grim. But okay, we would have just soldiered on. But yeah. I think they've really like the quality of the ad, the content, the way they've treated the players. Like, yeah. athlete, like it's just the message wouldn't have been the same though yeah. if they didn't mm-hmm. get behind it. That's the fact. You yeah. know? And if the game wasn't so good you know they probably wouldn't have needed to do it you know so I suppose look there's there's pluses and minuses in every camp I'm sure there's still some people out there who are still outraged by the idea of Lady Ball but Mm -hmm. I think the proof's in the pudding when you look at the finals and we'll get to them later on in in our chat here but like when you get to the product itself and you look at how strong ladies football is now I mean that's the most important thing mm-hmm. and so that was the big story of January moving on to February we mentioned it there and um, the the national women's rugby squad so we were we went out to defend the six nations title in February unfortunately it uh it didn't happen but nevertheless there was a lot of kind of big takeaways from the tournament and the main I suppose the main positive for me was the move to Donnybrook yeah for the home matches because it would have gone down to Ashburn over the years it was always a, like a mad dash out of work on the Friday night trying to get down there parking the car in the mud hoping the floodlights would work <laughs> hoping someone would give you a push out of there afterwards yeah but this year uh, they moved to the luxurious confines of, of Donnybrook Stadium which was huge absolutely huge for the game do you know what I, I in, in a way right 
Ashburn was amazing and I loved going out there and you know I'd be friendly with a lot of the girls and I would have spent years going to Ashburn even before I was working at the games or whatever and like there is a great atmosphere when you feel like you're away in the middle of nowhere at a match that's this great thing to be part of but everything has a natural end and I do believe that they got too big for it you know I do think that now people want to go and watch the Irish women's rugby team you know like I go into talk in schools and kids are asking me um, you know what does Neve Briggs do what does Fiona Coughlin do and when they realise that like Neve is a guard and Fiona is a teacher and that they have these big jobs and they play as well like girls are looking for role models and they realise that you know, I suppose these are all normal people as well. And, you know, that they can go down to Donnybrook and go and watch them play now is, it's such a huge thing. Like, I mean, when we were young girls, you're trying to think about your role models. Like, Sonia O'Sullivan was my idol when I was a kid. And I didn't get to meet her until much later in my life. Mm -hmm. So imagine you're like 10, 11, 12, and you go down to Donnybrook and Neve Briggs comes over after she's kicked the winning penalty. And not only does she sign an autograph for you, but she has a chat with you. She asks you where you're from. From. And there's no bullshit about these people. They're just real. And I think bringing them closer to the people in Donnybrook and making them more accessible can only be a good thing because the numbers are up in rugby. It's proven that it's working. They've obviously won a Grand Slam. You know, it's the movement of Irish women's rugby has been massive and it can only be strengthened by bringing it to Donnybrook and letting people see it. And I went down to the games, the home games last year, and like it was full, like the stand was great, there was a really good atmosphere and I was really delighted to see the amount of kids there. There were so many people. Now, albeit it was a lot of mams with their with their kids, but like I think that comes, you know, I think it comes with time. You'll see dads taking their daughters and all, which is a great thing to see. But there was a huge amount of kids and I just thought, this is brilliant because young kids are going to find it hard to go to the Aviva to watch the men's team play. Let's be honest. It's hard mm-hmm. to get a ticket. They're expensive. Mm-hmm. But if you can take them down to Donnybrook, it's going to cost them nothing to get in. They're going to watch a great game of rugby and they're going to get to meet these heroes. And I, I thought it was great to watch, I have to say. And the role models are, like I mentioned, are so important. And around in February as well, we had uh, Sophie Spence, who was nominated for the World Player of the Year and yeah. her you know, presence at that ceremony being in, in the top three in players in the world. Like, And then you have her doing schools visits and coaching out in DCU and stuff like that so yeah. it's just it's it's all it's all relative like it's it's everything is kind of feeding back she's into so each accessible other. as well that's the thing with all them they all do feed into each other because like like that they go and support other women's sports as well because they understand that with, if one sport is successful more sports can be successful like even when Sophie was nominated I mean I remember talking to her at the time she was bringing her mam over and like it's such, it was such a big deal to her but yet it was still so kind of local to her that she wasn't trying to make a big fuss about it. She was like, oh, I'll just bring my mom and we'll just have a great day. And, you know, she was nearly playing it down. I was like, yeah, you're nominated for World Player of the Year, but whatever, <laughs> like, you know. So it's it's just kind of funny seeing both sides of these people, like, you know. Yeah. And Ireland finished third in the in the tournament and France... France won it but I think it was kind of a year transition it being an yeah. Olympic year and all, all the sevens players yeah. mm. being whisked away on, on, on the world sevens mm. and that's a tricky one as well you see like you know when you're trying to bring in uh, I suppose a whole new program in and the sevens has proved to be really not only popular in Ireland but also successful like they're going places and you know when you look at some of the core girls being pulled to play sevens instead of fifteens that's always going to have a knock on effect but I think with a world cup around the corner next Mm. year you'll see a lot more players came through they capped some more new players again in November this year so I mean I wouldn't write it off obviously they'll be disappointed to have finished third in the Six Nations but I think when they look at the year as a whole there was probably more positives than negatives for the women's team I would have thought I know we'll get to the sevens later on when we in this chat but what I really like about the sevens is that they they, they pumped money into it mm. um, and I think it's a real the proof is in the pudding you know I feel like it's really it's a testament to what happens when you fund women's sports properly totally you know this is what you can achieve this is the first year that they've done this this is what they've achieved on this funding can you imagine like I really I think it leaves a question hanging we'll get to it later we'll get to it later but mm. I feel like it's their performance uh, in terms of 15s has just been a it's just left the question there. Yeah, mm-hmm. what would happen if we funded this? Mm-hmm. And there's there's other teams who are kind of making big gains on absolute shoestrings as well. And a, a prime example, one, one of the one of the standouts in, in March of this year was seeing the Irish women's quick, cricket team compete at the ICC World Cup 2020 in India, and 
how they got there was just absolutely brilliant. It was December a couple of months beforehand and went down to the wire in the qualifying tournament, but they ended up winning it. And it was 16-year-old Lucy O'Reilly who threw the winning ball. Like, if that's, first of all, to get her team into a major tournament, but also, like, how bright is the future of, of that squad? Now, the, the tournament itself, you know, they were up against the best in yeah. the world, like playing against the, the likes of Australia and the like. And um, the, the camp, they, they didn't get it, get out of their group and, and advance, but kind of to lay down a marker. Like, that team at the moment are in, in a really intensive training programme for the qualifiers for the next, the main Women's World Cup. And just today, Kim Garth named in the World Team of the Year. Like, they're, they're making such strong advances. And, you know, Cricket Ireland as well, I, I find their online presence really good. Yeah, it's really accessible for a sport that I wouldn't traditionally be know a lot about. Mm-hmm. Or be into. They make it really accessible, which is another... That's a big thing as well, because thing. when you are in a sport, I mean, sometimes it can be hard to find information on so-called minority sports. But if you're... Uh, like in fairness exactly what they're doing with cricket and hockey as well you know where you put yourself out there on social media you make your scores really available and all of a sudden people get behind it like I remember when they qualified for that tournament and like we ran it on the news it was on the radio it was on the papers and a lot of that is driven by them as well because they say here listen this is a great story let's go and tell it and the more you get the opportunity I mean like let's be honest everybody loves a good story like that's an amazing story a 16 year old throwing a ball that gets Ireland into a tournament like that's an incredible story and we're a nation of bandwaggers like we are like you know we just love we hop on that bandwagon and off we go delighted with ourselves so if you can get an opportunity to go and tell those stories people will but you just need to give them the nugget that starts it what I really like about the cricket team because cricket's not my sport and I do love a bandwagon but they make it really easy for me (laughs) and I mean that like I mean so you know there's people on the team like Claire Metcalf and Claire Shillington and they make the sport really accessible and I I feel like I can watch it and I know things and they tell me interesting stories about their tournaments and their travels and you know it's really yeah so I'm you know I, I may not know the ins and outs of every match they've ever played and I'm not a diehard cricket fan but you know I really I enjoy that but you don't need to be and yeah that's I, the like, I like I like the opportunity to yeah. get on the bandwagon yeah mm-hmm. yeah another sport in big development this year was hockey moving on to April we had the first national league finals which was huge progress for hockey because this is something that has been kind of kind of bubbling away for, for a few years there was a lot of people against the idea of a full national league thinking it would put too much pressure on the players every weekend say some of the, the Belfast based players having to travel to Cork and vice versa but um, it has just completely upped the standard of the club game and I suppose the pinnacle of that was the finals weekend which was held in April you had the four best women's team in the, in the country battling it out there was two semi-finals on the Saturday and the final on the Sunday the absolute cream of our international talent um, on the pitch. Some of them, let's say Anna O'Flanagan and Megan Fraser, running absolute riot and mm-hmm. showing why they're such a key part of the international squad. And it was just, it was we we were up there watching it. It was just a, such a brilliant advertisement for the game because everything good starts at club level, I think, and that's really shone through in the hockey this year. And likewise, that squad. It, it was hard for the Irish hockey players this year, it being an Olympic year and them not having yeah. qualified. Um, like it's very hard just psychologically to pick yourself up from that mm. and they went on tour to New Zealand to an invitation invitation tournament to play a lot of the teams that they would have been playing in the Olympics and they just put those bad memories behind them beat two higher ranked teams in the tournament and won crucially won a penalty shootout which was kind of had stopped them from from getting to the Olympics. Yeah, yeah, and you know what? Psychologically, that's a huge thing because I remember meeting a lot of the girls were out supporting the lads team out in Rio and I met a few of them when I was down there and, I mean, you could see by them like they desperately wanted to be there competing, obviously, but they were bigger and able to sort of just put it behind them and go and support the men's team which I have to say I really admired because the two squads will have gotten to know each other when they both sort of were trying to do the semi-pro thing in Dublin for a while and they obviously would emerge a little bit but just getting to see them out there and seeing the heartbreak that they were quite obviously going through uh, and the ability to just psychologically be able to say here listen we've watched it we've seen this miracle in Rio we would have loved to have been here but look let's just get on with it you know and like that's going to be massive for them going in I mean they still have a, a young squad there's a lot coming through that league is going to prove is going to reap huge dividends for them any any sport that can provide a league of top quality 
is only going further places on the international circuit and hockey's definitely going to prove that over the next couple of years I think it's going to be a really big sport for Ireland in the next few years and they're getting stuck into the women's squad are getting stuck into their World Cup qualifying campaign the World Cup has been expanded now to, to accommodate more teams I think it's gone from 12 to 16 Yeah, and they're doing the first step of that now is in January so they are in deep training mode for that so um, yeah another another big one to watch like winning trophies winning tournaments is one thing but kind of a lot of the, the foundations that have been laid this year for, for some sports has been just as enjoyable yeah. to watch I think yeah, yeah agreed and I think I think you know laying the foundations for some sports um, maybe diversifying away from central players and I know in May we saw the rise of Harrington mm. and I think that timed unfortunately with the, the fall of Taylor or the initial loss I remember the photo yeah, so I'm sure everybody remembers that photo. Mm-hmm. Spl- splashed all over the front of the, pra- the papers, the broadsheets. Um, just the look of disbelief yeah. that she had lost. And I remember when we spoke about it, we said that it was really she had set the bar. Katie Taylor really set the bar in women's boxing um, internationally, and everybody else was looking at her as a standard to beat. And they were really starting to achieve that. And it was going to be tougher and tougher and tougher for her yeah. to maintain her dominance. And May was really the start of, of, but of you that know, challenge. I mean, anytime you're the best at something in the world, it's inevitable you're going to get beaten sometime. Bolt is going to get beaten. Michael Phelps is going to get beaten. I mean, he did get beaten in the Olympics. You know, These things happen. This was inevitable for Katie Taylor. I think the amazing thing for her, and we'll get to her pro debut later, is how she has bounced back from it all. I mean, interestingly, I actually, funnily enough, thought she won that fight against Estelle Mossley at the time. I really was like, it was close, don't get me wrong. But like in that world title fight in May... I thought Katie Taylor had won it. I really did. Then, obviously, you go through the despair of her defeat and you're thinking, oh, my God, is this the start of it? Is this, you know, whatever. But I've heard her speaking about it since, just saying she wasn't enjoying her boxing. Mm-hmm. You know, it just she's had a very, very difficult time away from the ring. It's been, you know, spoken about at times. And it, that's a very, very difficult transition for her to go through, you know. And... I suppose we've taken it for granted that Katie Taylor was just going to be there and was going to win Olympic golds and world titles and Europeans just for fun. And at some point, it obviously stopped working for her. Um, So I suppose it was her initial demise... Um, coupled with Kelly Harrington at the time and people kind of going oh well there's more to this Irish boxing squad mm-hmm. than one girl and you know what the person who'd be more delighted about that is Katie Taylor yeah. because that was a huge burden for her to carry like there's other girls on that squad as well like that have been coming through the ranks for the last few years you remember Kira Walsh was doing quite well there for a while and you're sort of looking at them and going one of these girls is going to make a breakthrough. The problem was for Kelly Harrington, obviously her weight division wasn't in the Olympics, which is a is a big problem. But those kind of things are going to change now. And there's more stars than just Katie Taylor. And she's done a lot for women's boxing. And I'm glad to see, I suppose, the growth that's happening behind her now that she's gone to the pro ranks. Because now people can actually look at her in the pro ranks and go, geez, I might do that too after my amateur career. And that has to be a really important thing as well, you know. Yeah, it was totally a case of uh, a new star rises at, at the World Championships. But even what her pro- her profile since, um, like winning the silver was such a huge achievement. But then a couple of months later, one month later actually, uh, uh, and you're seeing her on, uh, doing analysis yeah. for on um, RT Sports yeah. coverage. Like so, it's again this thing about role models. It's just here's a, here's a woman who has just won a world medal and is now on TV. For kids at home to see, for little girls to say, oh, she said I'd like to be a boxer. And I loved, like her. I loved her honesty as well. You know, like she rocks onto TV and she's like, nah, not having that. No, you know, <laughs> and it's just like, I suppose when when you look at coverage of the way TV has gone, and a lot of it was quite male dominated and that is changing a little bit. You do see women coming in and they're not sort of like, I suppose athletics is a good one because you see the likes of Derville and Sonia where they're in there and they're mixing it up and they don't really care what they say because they're medalists in their own right and I think for Kelly to be able to sit on that couch knowing that she had a medal in her back pocket as well probably helps people because it's a credibility for her but also she's like you know what I'm in that high performance unit I'm going to tell you what I know because I'm I'm training with these lads every day and in a lot of ways when she was on the couch for the Olympics she knew more about what was going on in the high performance squad than any of the lads beside her and she wasn't afraid to say it either and I really liked that because I thought she could have really easily been nervous and just shut down and not said a lot and just kind of 
you know, done the easy thing and just said, yeah, that was good and he was good and whatever. But she got right into it and I thought she was great. She was really entertaining as well. She was, was really brilliant. good to watch. Yeah. Really, really great TV. And it being, it, it was unfortunate that her weight division is not in the Olympics. Mm. It's just like, it's just a risk to come from the high of, of winning the medal. But then it's not fair, no, really, is it? It's not fair. No. Yeah. It's not fair. And um, it being an Olympic year, like it, the, the, the pressure of qualification is just, it can go right down to the wire. And one team moving on to June that we saw that happen for it was the women's rugby sevens team. Oh. They, they put everything through the kitchen sink at trying to trying to qualify. It came down to the Olympic repechage tournament in UCD and unfortunately only one spot up for grabs and they didn't get it. Now to, to miss out on the Olympics with only two months to go just must have been absolutely heartbreaking yeah but to, to to do it in the fashion that they did it as well at, you know playing great rugby in front of your home fans in UCD like I was down there and you know okay they had a lot of injuries to contend with there was all kinds of things happened to the squad during the year and you're looking at them going how are they going to how are they going to get here you know and you looked at the caliber of the teams that were coming back over particularly Spain and Russia to that tournament and you were looking at it thinking they're going to need to beat at least one of these which was always going to be very very difficult but then just to watch them play and how far they came in the year to even get to that tournament and like I mean let's be honest they were so so close to qualifying like one more game and and they're there really like in so many ways you're watching them and you're, you're you feel like you're actually watching the evolution of something amazing because like I know come the next Olympic cycle we're going to be in a better place. Like, that's a fact. You can just see what they're doing at rugby. They are, as you said earlier, Emily, they're putting money into it. It really, really is proving to be really successful for them. They've got a great program out in DCU. They're living together like Big Brother. The girls are getting on like a house on fire. They're killing each other as well. But, like, you know, it's they're, they're a really, really good bunch, you know. And I think it's been a great thing for the 15s program as well because you can see the 7s girls are bringing an awful lot of, of that experience back into the 15s, even just with nutrition and living life as a pro athlete. Like, when does a girl get an opportunity to go and be paid as a professional athlete in this country yeah. like you know for what they've done in rugby it is it's going to do massive things for other sports because finally there's a window now mm-hmm. for young girls to look into and say geez I'd love a go at that mm-hmm. you know and it's it's amazing and the turn the outcome of the tournament was obviously very disappointing but I think it really laid down a marker as to what we can do as a host country oh yeah, yeah. And oh bring yeah on, as the hashtag is bring it for the the women's world cup it really kind of showed what's what's possible and uh, what a great tournament it's going to be next year i was up in belfast for the draw even and just like the buzz around the tournament now because obviously there's a 2023 bid for the men as well that's coming on the back of this and there's a real good feel factor around uh, irish rugby in general but since the irish women run the, won the grand slam in 2013 it's just been gradual bit by bit by bit then you see the sevens coming in now we're hosting tournaments UCD was, has become a real fortress now like it's a lovely pitch to play and up in the bowl it's quite loud up there and it's great you imagine what it's going to be like hosting a mm-hmm. uh, rugby world cup there next year like I just I remember watching the last rugby world cup on telly and thinking this is a great tournament and mm-hmm. it's going to be amazing to be to get to see that here mm-hmm. next year you know and, mm-hmm. and please God we'll have a great team that, that are involved in that as well you know mm-hmm. yeah we're looking forward to seeing a uh, it makes that team. Um, July was a bit of a medal frenzy. Yeah. <laughs> I feel like everybody just pulled it out of the bag in July and we just ended up breaking in the medals we in the pick, month before the Olympics. We couldn't pick just one, so we got three highlights for July. Yeah. Um, <laughs> sure, why not? I know. So highlight number one, athletics. Kira McGeehan wins bronze uh, in the, the European champs. Then there's the basketball. Um the women's squad won a European Championship silver and then Olive Lochnan finally claimed her World Championship gold. Yeah, only a few years after. 2009, she 2009, goes and wins yeah. and you're like, come on, pass on the medal for the love of God. No, three years, like three years post-retirement, she yeah. finally gets it. Do you know what? It's better late than never. Like, that, that is a fact. And like, I mean, for Olive, the one thing that I always say, like, I know Olive well now from over the years, but like, she, at least she was on the podium that day. You know, mm. when, when she finished second in Berlin at the time, there was question marks at the time, I remember it. But, like watching Olive cross that line, she couldn't really have done much more. She had 
walked the race of her life. It was a phenomenal performance. And then to realize that that was a gold medal winning performance has been amazing for her. And obviously having retired, I'm sure it, it's not it's not the same. And you think just in athletics as well, there's obviously a monetary value that goes with all these medals that she's missed out on as well, which is a disappointment. Mm-hmm. But I'm always glad that she got the moment on the podium because when you think about someone like Rob Heffernan, who got his Olympic medal this year, but never even got to get on the podium, you know, like it's just, so wrong in so many ways but I was really glad for Olive because she's mm-hmm. a great athlete and to be world champion now all these years later I mean she will always be world champion now and that, that's an amazing thing for her and it, it was nice how she was presented with the medal at the, Euro, at was the European lovely. Championships yeah. in Berlin uh, yeah. or sorry in Amsterdam she got another she got the, the anthem played again and, exa- and actually got Ireland the full suit. deal which I thought was actually lovely and you know mm-hmm. what like when you've retired and you think those things are gone and all of a sudden somebody says to you, hey, whip on the tracksuit, we're going to give you the medal. <laughs> like, you know, it must be an amazing feeling to get to almost step back in your life because, you know, mm-hmm. she has babies and kids and all this at home and, a, and a, like a big normal life, you know. Mm-hmm. So um, I'd say it was a novelty for her as mm-hmm. well and, and one she really enjoyed. Um, um, and then, of course, there was Kira claiming her 1500 metre bronze. That was uh, that was probably my sporting highlight of the year, actually. That I just found that incredibly. I think it's because we had interviewed her on the podcast yeah and just her self-belief like she just believes she's going to go out and win medals yeah. and then she does and yeah. she it was um, but not in a cocky way like there's nothing nothing bullish nothing co- like nothing cocky at all she's just so she just knows she puts the work in yeah and she then knows that when given the opportunity she will go out there and deliver and mm-hmm. she does and I found her completely infectious she mm-hmm. has been my sporting find of the year yeah. and like only the third women the third Irish woman to win a European athletics medal and then like watching it on TV and the other two are sitting the in the studio yes. it's <laughs> mad yeah the other two and her coach are sitting in studio yeah. analysing her that was, uh, that, was, that was fantastic do you know what I heard her talking to you on the podcast earlier in the year and and I didn't really know her, as in I knew well who she was, but I didn't know her personally. I hadn't met her. Heard her interview with Yi and thought, wow, she's really impressive. Yeah. And then met her subsequently and was like, whoa, she's really impressive. Like, this girl is the real deal. Mm-hmm. And I, it's not just who she is away from the running it's what she does and the way she does it like she is bullish about it like make no mistake the comparisons with Sonia are there but they're very real like this is not some Maria oh this girl could be the next Sonia like she is breaking records and running times that make her you know a very very viable prospect for this like I even saw her running in the cross country champs now albeit it didn't go as well as she would have liked for her on the day but you can see the work that she's putting in this thing is going to pay off for her long term mm-hmm. that could have been a silver medal for her on the day mm-hmm. like it's a bronze medal and in the end the first thing that she says when she does her post-race interviews is oh jeez I'm a bit disappointed it, was, it wasn't silver and you're thinking great Mm-hmm. I love, to, I love yeah. to hear that when an Irish athlete says that because it means that she's going back to Jerry and she's saying, here, let's go hard now for this because mm-hmm. she's, she's done a full cross-country season now. She'll go back in. She's got world champs next year. Like, Kira McGeehan is quickly becoming one of my favourite Irish athletes mm-hmm. as much because she's an unbelievably nice person away from the, from the track but also just because of her diligence and how well she is going about it on the track I mean she's a classy individual in every way mm-hmm. she so is and I loved when she spoke to us hearing about her relationship that she has with Jerry with her coach yeah. and how she has I mean she had her, her early career was just marred by injury after yeah. injury after potentially career ending injury and she went to the track every day and she watched and I can now that you've when I've met her and I've seen what she did in 2016 and I can almost in my mind picture her at the side of the track feeling heartbroken and thinking like I'm going to get there and I'm going to do it yeah and she just like yeah I also She's love that you so know classy. she wants to go back and play camogie for down when <laughs> you're like all right yeah okay fair enough and she probably could you yeah, know she so. wants to win a county uh, county championship yeah that's the real, that's <laughs> sure the, that's the real goal yeah. 2017 Kira McGeehan and the other another highlight we, we mentioned briefly was the the women's basketball team in July they um it was their their first European championships in seven years yeah wasn't they it? so basically the the thing with basketball was it obviously people may know basketball was sort of would have been my thing back in the day I would played an awful lot of it but they disbanded the programs um they they basically 
they didn't have the money for it is the long and the short of it and some of them were kind of self-funded programs over the years where underage squads would have went and paid their own money which happens in a lot of, of women's sports around Ireland but they basically decided this year that to reinstate the international programs for the first time since 2009 which like Gronje Dwyer was is a very high profile one of the basketball players in Ireland but like she'd be the last one of my generation let's say who's having the opportunity now to play for Ireland because those years in the middle are actually just lost like if you think there's eight years go by where nobody gets the chance to play for their country and if you're a young girl playing basketball in Ireland and you're looking around, or a young boy there was no men's squads either you're looking around and you're saying where is this going for me you know like so for those girls to have the opportunity to play for Ireland again like for Gronia who I've known since we were 11 um, for her to get to play for Ireland again after playing the 3x3 three three last year it's such a huge leap for basketball in this country now that there's role you, we talk about role models and all that that there's girls again now playing for Ireland and that there's an opportunity for them and that there's a whole young generation of girls now that have come up that are senior internationals I mean it's it's amazing and for them to go and win at that European tournament to go and win a medal was massive it doesn't it doesn't just mean that it's warranted bringing the programs back now all of a sudden they can go back to Basketball Ireland and say here listen we actually won as well mm-hmm. so give us more money and this is what we can do so uh, it was a huge step forward and personally I was that was one of my highlights of the year I have to say so at the end of the day there's nothing quite like pulling on the green jersey and, and representing your country absolutely and it's um it's something that a record number of people got to do this year for the olympics Woo-hoo! which was uh 26 women representing ireland well, at the olympics this was year. it yeah, yeah, yeah. wow 26. i didn't even know that um, that would have been helpful for me going over as a little <laughs> staff, wouldn't it? We profiled them all on, uh, on on Fair Game, on the Fair Game Twitter, and uh, did all their stats. And then we did that episode. We did a, an Olympics review episode, and I remember being kind of excited about the, the Olympics going into it, and then doing the episode and being like, oh, actually, no, I'm really excited about this. And yeah. picking kind of a... So what did I pick? I picked cycling as a sport that I would never have watched that yeah. I was going to make my Olympic sport to watch and getting like totally into it Sharon, Shannon Curley yeah um, and being like yeah I know follow her on Instagram I yeah. follow her on her Twitter like, yeah. I'm, like I remember so when Ivan interviewed her was like oh my god she's so cool and yeah. I was like so I don't cool. know this girl and then I, you'd hear her being interviewed and she's obviously not Irish and she has this great accent and all and you're just like oh wow this girl is really cool then you watch the sport and you're like this is mad you know so and Olympics stories, is great like that it's great for getting to know like personal stories of athletes who in sports that you've never really watched so like yeah. Alice O'Reilly like the first Irish sportswoman to compete and the story behind her is that she was like oh yeah Grant do the A-levels off to Rio like yeah. what she's like 18, 18. yeah 18 and the first one to qualify for gymnastics like it's just yeah. it's crazy yeah it's uh, but those stories are great though mm-hmm. you know because yeah. like I suppose every four years they get their chance on the big stage and that's the one thing that I always find with a lot of the Olympic athletes that's why they're so successful as well because they don't get the media coverage they're not out there every week and so when it comes around in four years time and they're actually out there a little bit and you get to kind of you kind of get to know them but you get to know their story as well like Mm -hmm. Ellis O'Reilly we might not see her again for four years Mm -hmm. but like it's been fascinating just seeing the likes of her and Shannon and these kind of people that come through and you're like oh okay wow you know tell me a bit more about you and I suppose it's it's one of the, the it's one of the great things in 2016 that we did get to learn a lot of those stories that we may not necessarily have had. You know? But you get the legacy issues as well. So I remember Annalise in 2012, and then you know hearing about her in little pockets. Yeah, uh, in the four years, but then because well, she was only twenty two in in twenty twelve, so like she came out of nowhere for a lot of Irish people, yeah. and all of a sudden she's twenty six in Rio, and everyone's has the heartbreak with her. Yeah, you know it's... exactly. Yeah, mm-hmm. yeah. But you remember her. You remember the story. You remember the legacy. So yeah, yeah. Mm-hmm. And it really was that was just so such an incredible watch to see her win that medal. It was just like just breathing such a sigh of relief yeah. and just how ecstatic she ecstatically happy she was it was just like you just couldn't have, I was born and crying do you know the, the other thing for Annalise like uh, there's not a lot of when you're a journalist and you're trying to separate yourself from the story and you're trying not to get emotionally attached there are some times when it's very difficult to do that and when Annalise won that medal was definitely one of them for me because I've gotten to know her very well over the years and I remember the heartbreak that she went through when she came back from London I mean people need to remember that her whole world was turned upside down when she finished fourth. You know, she comes home and all of a sudden 
she doesn't know what to do anymore. She's been a sailor. She, all she wanted to do was win an Olympic medal. She comes home and she's just totally disillusioned with the whole sport. And then she has a 2013 to forget. She performs terribly in all the test events. Um, she's just really not enjoying her sailing anymore. And I don't know if she's seriously considering not going to Rio, but like there's definitely some dark thoughts in her mind when this thing is not happening for her. And she's going to Rio for test events she's finishing last and all of a sudden she's thinking what the hell am I going to do here and what she did in that intervening period I mean she basically retrained herself how to sail a different way in order to win because in London she knew that she'd won a lot of wind she's bigger than some of the other girls like she's six foot tall you know so she kind of was was it's it's effectively like she's playing one way and then she retaught herself to play a different way if you want to use a game terminology and so for her to go and do that and retrain and then to win the medal like the diligence that it took like she was in I think she was in Rio for like a hundred days you know I mean she rented an apartment out there like she literally knew everything about the local culture and okay she won the medal in Ireland loved her for a couple of weeks and, and totally bought into her story but like this is a lifetime of work mm-hmm. for her and for her family and I just found myself sitting watching this thing and just with tears in my eyes because I was thinking I am so glad for you like Jesus like to get there and to see what you've gone through that it's been worth it was amazing and it's one of those moments that will always live with me and for me I think that was probably my highlight of the year mm-hmm. and it was as as we mentioned earlier we are a nation of, of bandwagoners and we have <laughs> this horrible fixation on medals for the Olympics now it's amazing when they're won but for Irish athletes going to compete on the world stage it's it's other gains that we have to be looking for as well and we look at Natalia Coyle who yeah. went from 10th place in London to 7th place in Rio personal bests across the board like that is such a huge achievement she's a hero she's a hero she's absolute an absolute hero, hero. seriously um, three big fans Sarah, yeah. Sarah Tracy making an Olympic final in her debut I mean that was an amazing and the recovery well. from that fall that she had so do you remember I'm she went around the track and yeah. then she uh, was tripped up by the athlete in front of her who fell and then they let the three athletes in. Mm-hmm. And, I mean, let the three athletes into the, what was it? Into the, the final. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah, and to have an athlete, like, I mean, she ran in the semis, but to have her in the final was like... Oh, yeah, to see an Irish singlet line up for the yeah. final, it was amazing. Stop, like, edge of my seat. Yeah, it, it was, was incredible. And, I mean, like, her and Natalia Coyle would have been in Pony Club together with Arthur Lanning and O'Keefe as well so all of a sudden you have all the Tracy family down supporting them and then like Tal and Arthur would have been down watching Sarah and all and a lot of these athletes would know each other obviously but like they go back a long long time and like Sarah obviously could have gone a different route and then could have been part of the modern pentathlete squad if she wanted to mm-hmm. but to see it working out for her was was amazing as well you know yeah, and I think one of my personal highlights was, was Claire and Sinead's performance in the rowing oh, to see yeah. them make the final I don't again know. just bawling at the telly I think I'm, it was I'm a bit not of sure <laughs> I'm not sure if they got the credit that they deserved because okay the Donovans went and won a medal which was an amazing um, achievement um, but for the girls to be top six in the world I'm just not quite sure that at the time and maybe it was because literally the men were straight after and, and they took so much of the gloss off it but like that was a massive performance by them even for them to qualify in the first place it's a hugely competitive sport I mean it's a very very competitive field for them to even be the, in the top 12 boats and then to go down and to get through their semis or to get through a semi and to make make a final and you're thinking wow like a final anything can happen and I I know they finished sixth but like uh, I think that was a really good Olympic Games for them you know and I mean when you take in Sinead Jennings story or Mm -hmm. Sinead Lynch now as I should call her uh, when you take in Sinead's story and just what she's been through to get to the Olympics and all I mean I thought that was just amazing like Mm -hmm. a really really fascinating journey for them you know to try and qualify at three different sports it doesn't happen for you finally you get to qualify for Olympic Games at 40 years of age and just when you think your dream is over um, and then to go and perform that way uh, was was brilliant like you know mm-hmm. they were they were a great story and what about your own Olympics Jackie covering it was it a super glamorous job or no, not at all um, you see more of a studio than you do of the uh, the athletics but um, look do you know what 
it's it's an amazing experience but there's so much going on it's very hard to kind of keep across it all you, you sort of feel like you come in and you're like how did your man get on and they're like oh did you not see it and you know a lot of people at home probably saw more of the olympics than i did in some ways would you cover one sport per day or one event per day or how the way it kind of worked is i did a, well, well i sort of did a bit of everything but a lot of the stuff i might have been anchoring for radio so i might go out to an event in the morning then come back and i'd be anchoring for radio in the evening and so a lot of people would be doing live reports into mine but i'm sitting in the studio and you have literally a feed of everything that's going on it's like being the ultimate sports fan so you're sitting there going what time is the equestrian on there lads right i'll fire that on the tv (laughs) oh water polo okay i'll put that on over here and there you're watching like wrestling and just absolute random stuff like and a lot of it like i started watching the karen one night the cycling right Mm -hmm. and um you know England or the Team GB were having a really, really this whopper night on the track and I'm just watching it and I'm like, oh my God, this is fascinating and Laura Trock goes and wins her medal and I was like, oh wow, I'm totally getting into this and then I'm like, there's no Irish people here. Why am I watching this? You know, <laughs> totally enthralled with this thing that has nothing to do with what I'm, what I'm supposed to be talking about but like, I'm just fascinated by the Olympics. Like, I'm one of those kids who grew up, kind of like what you were saying there, Emily, like where I'll just watch the sport and I'll be like, okay, I'm going to learn everything I can about this random sport and then I'm going to forget about it again for four years. But, like, when you start working in it and you realize that you're going to be covering these things, all of a sudden you start paying attention to them constantly then because you're kind of learning something about them over and over the years and then you realize, oh, when that's in Tokyo now, I'm going to be really interested in that or whatever. And, like, just getting to watch them all up close and personal was pretty cool as well. What, I, what I really like about Team GB, controversial, um, <laughs> uh, about their, no, sorry, uh, is the teams are big enough over there to have, like, for it to be kind of political, for them to have, like, legacies and rivalries yeah. that go back years. And, I mean, we, like, Irish teams go over and we, I don't care who they don't get on with. Like, I am just so excited and delighted that they're there and everybody's cheering and delighted. And I don't think they have any, you know, bad blood with anyone. But, like, Team GB sometimes, they kind of do a little bit and there's a little bit of a, you know, personality clash. Yeah. And some of their, so, like, you know, you would, you, especially in the cycling. So, and uh, the BBC are really good at, Recording and and kind of relaying all of those behind the scenes tensions, yeah. um, and I really like the rivalry. I get kind of hooked See, in. We with wouldn't the like that in Ireland, though. If we all start getting thick at each other, we'd like, oh no, <laughs> oh no, no, your man, he's not sound. No, no, not, not sound. sound. Yeah, not sound. yeah, no yeah. sounds like. Yeah. I mean, we there's a lot of rivalry, and I suppose the next the next month's um, highlight for us would be September and the Gaelic Games, the football and camogie finals. And the rivalry that went on there, now, I got hooked on that. Yeah. So, like, Easy to get hooked on that. Yeah, like fair. Yeah. Oh, it's because you're from Cork. <laughs> and, but, like, in fairness though, like, fair point well made. with both of them though, you've got two Cork teams obviously who come in as defending champions and two great stories because with Camogie firstly you've got Kilkenny who are there they haven't won a title in 20 odd years 22 years I think it was and you're looking back saying oh Jesus they're going to get there sometime and, and like I thought Kilkenny should have won the All-Ireland last year you know so you're you're looking at this as two great teams and same with the ladies football you've got this Dublin-Cork rivalry that's been going on for the last few years and all of a sudden in September you had two games that young women would really want to go to because you knew you were going to get two brilliant rivalries that were going to serve up two great games mm-hmm. and sure what more do we want for our national sport you know two great semis particularly in the football two great semi-finals as well like yeah the Dublin Mayo I thought was the game of the yeah. year yeah because Dublin won and got their third All-Ireland in in uh, in as many years but um, like Sinead Ahern kicking that last minute yeah, point yeah it was amazing was fantastic but unfortunately they came up short in the, uh, on the big day again and Cork go get their 11th title in 12 years. Yeah, now in fairness, okay, obviously it's very easy to be biased when you're from Cork, but like I've grown up in a culture where I know a lot of these girls since I was a kid mm-hmm. and they were getting hammered when I was younger. I remember when they were going down to Waterford and being beaten by 10 points. So this is not an overnight revolution. Um, mm-hmm. This Cork squad have been through the absolute ringer and half of them, like... In, in a way it's amazing that they hung around to, to actually roll with the good times that they have now since gotten like the likes of Deirdre O'Reilly who would have been literally a nipper playing in these days when they were getting hammered Rena Buckley coming through as well so like it's great to see when you talk about legacy that a squad can come through and have that amount of 
I suppose, experience to go and win. Like, they just don't know how to lose, that Cork mm-hmm. team. Like, everything that got thrown at them in the last two years, and even Eamon Ryan to leave, and then for Efi Fitzgerald to come in, and for the transition to just, okay, it wasn't very smooth in the league, but by the time the championship rolled around, it was just old Cork, same business, mm-hmm. you know? So, the, the it's example, amazing. The example that they've set for the next generation as well, like, this year we, we have a player the calibre of Valerie Mulcahy. There'll never be anyone like her mm-hmm. again. But you have players like Orla Finn coming in yeah. to take her spot, yeah. who is like you know nominated for for All Star, and like she's just it's it's as a dub, it's scary. <laughs> yeah, it is. But I mean, I suppose on on the flip side, you have to remember Carla Rowe's point was a point, right? So that Hawkeye situation was ridiculous. Um, mm-hmm. And I know there's a couple of different debates around it. One is that it's a money issue, which I only part take as the, the reality. It also would have had to go through Congress, which it didn't, you know. So there's there was a ruling that was a problem with it as well as the, the monetary side of it. I believe Hawkeye should be available for women's games. When it's there in Croke Park, make it available. When they're playing a game in Thurles, make it available. Find the money. Mm-hmm. That's the way I feel. If we want equality and we want to make this um, an accessible sport for young women, just give it to them. That's the way it should be. Like I just I don't believe in these ideas of oh it's there for the men, but it's like oh the hot showers are there for the men, but we can't turn on the power on a Wednesday when the girls are training. Like that's absolutely ridiculous. Like mm-hmm. the idea that this technology is available and we're not availing of it is. Just just farcical in my mind. Now I understand there are bigger things at play here, but just as a as a rule, I think it should have been in play. And had that point gone over, all of a sudden the game is different. Now I know as Ify Fitzgerald said quite rightly, if that was a one point game or whatever, Cork wouldn't have let that goal in. And you know, all things other change. Mm-hmm. But still Dublin were very, very close to winning that All-Ireland. You know, like, I, I actually think the Ladies Football Championship is only going to get better through the years because Mayo were very close to winning an All-Ireland this year as well. Mm-hmm. You know, there's, like, Monaghan are always there, Galway are coming through. Like, there's actually a huge amount of competition in, in Ladies Football, and, that, and that's good. And I think the Cork girls see that as well. So I wouldn't be so sure that we're going to have 12 and 13 next year. I'll put it to that way. Okay. And the Camogie- I'd be delighted if they did, by the way, but, you know... <laughs> And the Camogie Championship as well. Like I, I, I think the thing about September and the two, the, the spectacle of the two finals in in Croke Park. It's just they're getting stronger and stronger each year. Both attendances for the Camogie and the, and the football up again this yeah. year. Yeah, we're going in the right direction. With yeah, them. It's, I think when you put them in perspective, like say twenty thousand were in attendance at the Camogie final this year. Mm. Now that's compared to I think thirty four for the football. Yeah, but if you look bigger picture, take a step back. The in America, the WNBA final game. 19,000 so Camogie yeah. is getting more than a massive franchise like that stateside getting yeah. more, more bums and seats and the other thing for Camogie is you have to remember where they're coming from like I think they had 12,000 last year so like this is what they have gone through and like they had a coin toss scenario mm-hmm. last year they had situations with dual players like I mean they've had issues as well but I think what I've liked about the Camogie Association is at least they've been upfront about it and said you know what that didn't go so well for us but we're going to rectify it and we're not afraid to make mistakes and we're going to work harder and they did they worked really hard on getting their attendances up this year and it paid off and they got okay the final probably wasn't the spectacle that last year's one was they had very popular winners in Kilkenny there's a lot of people myself included I have to say who'd be huge admirers of this Kilkenny team and what they've gone through a lot of them have won you know colleges competitions the Ashburns with WIT and obviously won 12 All-Irelands herself as a player and Downey their manager so like I think what this Kilkenny team have got, it's its kind of that old cliche of winning one is the hardest and then what you can do. I could see this Kilkenny, All-Ireland, this Kilkenny team winning a couple of All-Irelands because now that they've gone and proven that they can win, uh, I think the sky's the kind of the limit for them because they're young, they're very, very talented and they're extremely ambitious. Mm-hmm. Um, so it's been great. I've really, really enjoyed watching them this year, I have to say, and it was it was good. Oh, like, obviously, like I said, not a spectacle of a final that you'll remember forever, but a really, really popular champions who played extraordinarily well on the mm-hmm. day. And speaking of popular champions, October brought the big news that Katie Taylor was leaving the amateur game and turning pro. Uh, one of the biggest stories of the year, I think, and since then she's 
She's uh, she set the standard for herself by winning her first two professional bouts. She's been great to watch as yeah. well, hasn't she? Mm-hmm. You know, I've kind of loved seeing the background videos of Katie Taylor. You know, she's there in the black velvet and she's all chatting. Like, she came out to Supersonic the other night by Oasis. <laughs> and albeit, I don't know if it was her choice, but like, you're sort of seeing a different side to Katie Taylor who... She doesn't necessarily let that side out that much. And I mean, like anyone who's who's met Katie Taylor on a personal level, she's very funny. She's got a dry sense of humor. She's actually a really, really lovely person. But she wouldn't like the fanfare that goes with all this. And I mean, I suppose she realizes as well that it's the pro game now. I've got to do something different. But she's still herself. Mm-hmm. You know, she's still... She's still Katie. She's still going to be very true to herself and and who she is and what she is. But I've loved seeing the background stuff of her sort of, you know, smiling and joking and kind of, I I don't know. It's just, I think it's it's been great to see her in a different realm. Like when Mm -hmm. you're so used to seeing her in the amateur ranks and it's all very guarded and it's all so tournament driven as opposed to now where I suppose it's like it's all telly and it's all glamorous and it's all you know kind of bright lights big cities the sky sports machine is behind her and all of a sudden here we go like i just think getting to pull back the curtain has been great the thing i really like about her turning pro is not only that she seems to be kind of enjoying it again um but also that it's doing a huge amount for the sport yeah because we can i mean we give out an awful lot about some sports being like almost keeping their female athletes like top seekers. Yeah. Like they don't like to tell anyone anything about them. And, you know, searching on their websites can be like painful because you can find, you know, the games, uh, upcoming games from 2003, but you can't find, yeah. you know, like the championships that are on next week. The like next it fixtures. Can, it can be really, really challenging. And what I really like about what they've done with boxing or about the boxing in the pro game is that they're they they you you can't escape it oh yeah like it's everywhere and it's proper front and center yeah you know, and it's not great. like it's of a really supreme quality and mm. it's not they're not there's nothing compromised about yeah. it do they think katie Christina has gone mcmahon might uh disagree with, see, with that like it's it, it does vary like the stars are the stars and then there's that's what i was gonna say katie's okay. benefiting from the fact that she's got the big boys in her corner and that is helping no doubt but like you see the likes of anthony joshua even talking about her saying oh this kid is the real deal or whatever that's helping her massively i can understand christina mcmahon's argument because she's obviously been on the flip side of it she obviously goes, becomes world champion, and then very quickly finds herself being treated appallingly by a sport that she was helping to promote. But I've even heard her being interviewed, and I wonder, does the Katie situation change things for her as well? Because, like, I've heard her speaking out about, like, particularly what happened to her in Mexico, Mexico and yeah. it was just shocking, like, and she got treated horrifically in America as well. But... All of a sudden now, Katie Taylor starts getting a bit more publicity. Maybe the machine starts thinking, oh, Jesus, we better clean up our act elsewhere as well Mm -hmm. because our golden girl's on telly here and we need to make this thing count. So I don't know. I'd I'd nearly say watch this space on that because I think Christina McMahon is a great advocate for women's boxing in Ireland as well. And I'm nearly sorry that she's at the point of her career where her and Katie couldn't have been there I wouldn't say not that they won't be there together. Quite obviously, she, she's not going anywhere for, for certainly the, the short term. But I, I guess that maybe they didn't come through that rank together, that we didn't see the growth of the two of them because they could have been real superstars together, you know? Mm-hmm. And Kate, as Katie keeps saying, though, as well, that she's got many, many more years left. In her oh, yeah. Every every kind of press conference and stuff, It's it's, it's mm. she's in it for the long haul. Oh, definitely. And I mean, I would imagine exciting. that Katie, she's in the shape of her life now as well, yeah. you know? So, like, I'd have no fears that she's going anywhere. She's going to be... Like, Paddy Barnes said to me the other day, she'll be world champion within the next couple of years, no doubt, mm-hmm. you know? And then it's whatever she can do from there. And hopefully she makes a load of money out of the sport as well because, um, look, not that that's important to her, but I think it's an important part of it in that if we are driving standards and you do want young girls to be able to aim to be professional athletes, you also want them to aim at a place where there's actually a chance for them to make money out of something that it's a, a genuine career opportunity and if you see the likes of Katie Taylor being able to do that that can only be a good thing for everybody I would have thought mm-hmm. you know mm-hmm. speaking of people who have you know tons of years ahead of them to somebody who ended one section of her career November 
one of the highlights was Sue Ronan's retirement. Um, she came to the end of that, that part of her career and she moved on to something else, but she left quite a legacy in place there. Yeah, um, she did. That I mean, like that that job that she's had, though, being with the Republic of Ireland women's team is a very, very tough job because she was also, she, while she was managing the squad, she's also head of development for women's soccer mm-hmm. with the FAI as well. And I mean, you're literally touching the senior squad and the most junior, junior players at the very same time. It must be an awful tricky job to try to balance those two things at the same time, I would have thought, you mm-hmm. know. But the, the foundations that she's laid at kind of junior, junior level, yeah. like I'm talking under sevens up, like even stuff like the Soccer Sisters programme, yeah. like, which she would have spearheaded. She's just, she, she's stepping away from the national squad managerial job to she still t- still remaining as head of women's football for the FAI but that's a good thing for them you Brilliant. know and I mean in fairness I think Sue probably realised that as well there comes a time when quite naturally she got to the end of a cycle they didn't qualify out of their group which is a hugely disappointing thing for her and for the squad because like there was a point at which they looked like they might qualify there they were playing some really good football they scored some great goals and I mean I was out in Tallow watching them in a few of their games and definitely felt like there's a groundswell in women's football as Mm -hmm. well that maybe they were going places and maybe Sue felt I've done everything I can here it's time to move on from this particular job and there's no question that what she has done at grassroots level is starting to show its head at the 16, 17, 18 year old girls who are playing in the league here. Leanne Leanne Kieran scoring a hat-trick in the the cup final. Yeah, and there are those kind of players who are getting a genuine opportunity in a very, very strong women's national league here in Ireland that is competitive. Uh, You've got teams that are going on to to represent Ireland in Europe and actually showing themselves quite well there, you know. So I think what Sue has done for women's football is is massive, you know. I mean, there's no doubt she'll be missed in the role with the senior women's team, but I think she'll just feel it's probably the next step on her career. And I mean, she's a fascinating woman to talk mm-hmm. to. You know? She really is. We had the pleasure of meeting her at the uh, Women in Media Conference earlier in the year. And she's just, like, she's just a wealth of knowledge. She's so... Um, but she's so gracious with that like she yeah. is, she you know she's really fab and um she's fab to talk to you on, on, yeah. a, on a personal level absolutely and the stars i suppose of the squad that she's that have been created through mm. through the ranks through through a lot of the programs she would have been involved in like and um, like stephanie roach and like katie mccabe overplaying yeah. in arsenal melanie campbell or, or overplaying in um manchester city yeah it's just like um yeah Neil fahey over in, over in chelsea it's like they've really kind of spread their wings they're playing in proper setups with with Premier League clubs and or women Super League clubs and over stateside on scholarships, mm. like and it, it all feeds back into the national yeah, screen. Totally. As soon as they can qualify for a major tournament, it's like it's a big ask. But women's soccer is going to completely. Oh, take I feel I feel like in the way that happened with rugby, it it took the girls in rugby to win a, uh, to win something big to to win a title. Yeah. You know what I mean, before people decided or started even discussing whether or not to put money into that yeah. or how to support them better, and I feel like I mean we've we've heard. Irish players throughout the year talk about the financial sacrifice that they have to make. Um, you know, Niamh Fahey flying back and forth to play for mm-hmm. Ireland and to train with Ireland. And it's like, you know, it's not good enough. And I mean, I, we can have this conversation and this podcast isn't about ranting about things that aren't good enough. But, you know, I really think that this is the next, or one of the next sports, hopefully, to just... And the thing really is, soccer, I mean, you can see even by, like, the last World Cup... Like, the figures watching it, that game is massive in the world. Like, you know, if you even just take America alone, like, their league is huge. Their players are getting paid real money. It's actually a very, very good standard. Similar in England, like, very, mm-hmm. very decent standard. They have their own dedicated football show on the BBC, which actually does quite well ratings-wise. And it's a good, decent show where they do strong analysis. They have their own players talking about the game, and the growth of the game is massive. I think we're not too far away from that here. I do think this team have the ability to qualify for a major tournament and I totally agree that if that happens that'll be another bandwagon that we'll all be more than happy to get on because this is coming and I wouldn't be surprised if the next cycle sees them going places Mm -hmm. well we've reached December and we will finish off by laying laying down our claim on who we think is the Irish sportswoman of the year who wants to go first Everybody's just looked at me, by the way. Emily's going first. Okay, so I yeah, I'm going for Kira McGeehan. I think she was a, she's been a joy to watch. 
Um, I've been so incredibly proud uh, of her representing our country, winning medals, just really excelling. Um, and I have loved watching her and then having gotten to meet her. Um, yeah, I'm like, she's a gem. She's my find of the year. Mm-hmm. Yeah, total sportswoman of the year. Sorry. For me, it's got to be Annalise. I just, I find it so hard to look beyond her just based on what she did, the grit that she went through that I've already talked about. I mean, an Olympic silver medal, she's going to have that forever. I have no doubt that Kira McGeehan is going to win more medals. Not that I don't think Annalise will, but I'm just saying Kira's had an amazing year, but Annalise just pips it for me just because it's just, she was the story of the summer for me. Mm-hmm. I'm going to go with someone who has no less than 11 medals in their back pocket. I'm going to go for Breed Stack. Oh, I can't, yeah, she would have been a... She would have been in my top three. As much as uh, it just goes to show the respect that I have for the Cork ladies team, uh, even though they keep breaking my heart year after year, I just thought Breed Stack was phenomenal this year. And I, like having played football, backs win games, forwards decide by how much, and she is just such a powerhouse at fullback. Like yeah. she, she leads, she leads the attack from fullback, which is incredible. And I was absolutely delighted to see her get the players' player. Oh, year she this totally year. deserved it. A hundred percent deserved. It. I couldn't agree more. And she had, she is getting better with age. That one, honestly, she's just had a phenomenal year. Mm-hmm. Well, that about wraps up our review of 2016. Big thanks to Jackie for taking the time out of your busy schedule to join us to review the year that was for Irish sportswomen. Make sure to follow Jackie at on Twitter at, at Jackie Hurley keep up to speed with, with uh, covering sports countrywide on a weekly basis and while you're on Twitter as well give us a follow at Fair Game Cast for constant updates on everything happening in women's sport likewise if you're out running or walking or hitting the gym over Christmas holidays and you need a soundtrack check out our archive for some motivational listening all of our episodes to date are available on castaway.media forward slash fair game or you can search and subscribe on all podcasting apps so that's it for this episode. Thank you for listening and for all your support this past year. And here's to a great 2017 for Ireland's sportswomen. Springtime tips and fun facts from Paul, Kristen and Dexter at Total Wine & More. It's peak season for asparagus, which pairs perfectly with a light and crisp rosé. Many bottles of champagne and sparkling wines are perfect for adult Easter baskets. And they're really cute, too. My perfect brunch? Belgian waffles with extra whipped cream and a holiday pour of your sweetest rosé. Whether you're hosting or just bringing the wine, we'd love to share our always low prices and ridiculous selection this spring at Total Wine & More. Cheers!